You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Good morning, church family. <laughs> um, in case you missed it, I am Melinda and I have several roles in the church, not just oversight. Um, there's also a growth track that starts today, so if you want to sign up, come see me. <laughs> um, it's been quite a while since I was last up here, and things have changed quite a bit. I can no longer hide behind a pulpit, you get to see me, but I also no longer have something to hold on to as I shake, so I ask you to extend your grace to me this morning. Um, our last sermon series was on dangerous prayers. If you prayed them... Did you experience breakthrough? I know I did, but I also couldn't experience it without first being challenged. I half-heartedly prayed to God to make me bold, and his response was to place people and situations into my path to give me opportunities to step up and be bold. This wasn't easy, and I'm not sure I completely succeeded, but I know I didn't completely fail either. And if one of those situations should rise again, I would be more confident in dealing with it. But I'm not sure I'll be praying, praying, make me bold again anytime soon. (laughs) The truth is, situations can often arise in life that challenge us and that we would rather not deal with. These can be our valley moments when we can crumble, fall apart, and at times have trouble putting one foot in front of the other. I recently went through a valley moment where someone who was close to me accused me of being capable of lies and deception. This made me angry and upset, especially as one quality I value is honesty. Just ask my kids. They never grew up with magical, mystical creatures that appeared at Christmas, Easter, or when certain parts of their anatomy fell out. (laughs) They call me out if I tell the smallest lie, which I'll readily admit to, And if someone calls up that I know they don't want to speak to, I'll ask them to step outside so I can honestly say that they're out at the moment, but I'll let them know you called. (laughs) Okay, so that one's not such a great example. The point is, I value the truth. So if someone calls me dishonest, I get angry, hurt, and upset. But God and those closest to me know the truth, and having them walk alongside me in the valley helps take the sting out of it just a little. Our valleys, trials and challenges can be used to bring about victories. Okay, show of hands here. Who as a Christian has never experienced trials, sufferings or things in life that have just been plain hard to deal with? No. I was going to say, if that's the case, I would love to know your secret. The fact is we all go through them, be it natural disaster, health issues, child wrangling issues, money woes or relationship blows. I don't believe we can go through life without going through valley moments and coming across things that hurt us, challenge us, and for better or worse, change us. As many of us here who prayed dangerous prayers recently will have experienced, we sometimes pray for things believing God will grant them because we believe them to be good and instead find ourselves placed in situations, circumstances that challenge us far beyond what we were expecting. God often answers our prayers in unexpected ways, 
And at times it can be hard to see what God, who loves us, is doing, especially when we go through valley moments, when his plans seem weird, painful, or just don't seem to make any sense. Worse still, there are times when we pray to God to deliver us from our circumstances, but the situation only seems to increase or get worse. Why wouldn't God, who is good, just want good things for us? Why doesn't God answer in the way we expect? Why isn't life as a Christian always easy? Why would God want us to experience pain, suffering, or rejection? And why are there times when our prayers genuinely seem to fall on deaf ears? There are three things we should each know for certain, and that is, Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We will have tribulations, so we should expect them. Two, in whatever you're going through, God always has a plan. And three, we have a shepherd who understands what we are going through. Jesus didn't exactly have it easy while he was on here on earth. He was rejected by his community, called out of his mind by those closest to him, accused of being possessed by the devil, called a liar or blasphemer by those in religious authority, who were jealous of him and for the most part wanted him dead. And finally, he was betrayed and abandoned by his friends before being handed over to the authorities who put him to death. And yet, in all of it, God had a plan. He was going to use these valleys to prepare the world for his greatest victory yet. I think it's almost impossible to preach a sermon without bringing it back to the foot of the cross. And this one is no different. Could you turn with me now or follow along on the screen as I read from Isaiah 52, verse 13. God always has a plan. You see, before Jesus was even born, God already had put his plan in place, a plan for victory. These verses were written as a prophecy about the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ 700 years before he was even born. The suffering and glory of the servant. Verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as many who were appalled at his appearance were so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who, in Jesus' time, knew about what was to come and to whom God had revealed his plan? You see, God did have a plan, one which in these verses here he revealed ahead of time, yet the authorities missed it. The religious leaders of the day who diligently studied the text missed it. Even the disciples, despite being repeatedly told by Jesus about what was to come, missed it. Each failed to see God's plan and even conspired to stop it. Yet the very people to oppose his plan were the ones who carried it out. Verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. 
He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus didn't come as a king demanding his rights and dues as the all-creator of the universe. Instead, he came as one who would be overlooked by most of mankind, as a humble and lowly servant, ready to carry out God's will. Verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We, like like all sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all of us. The Lord laid our iniquity, our sins, our immorality, our wickedness on him. Because from the time of the very first sin, God had a plan. The redemption of people from their sins. Well, this was foreshadowed in Exodus. When the blood of the Lamb was used to save the nation of Israel during the Passover, and as Pete spoke earlier, in the sacrificial offerings that were given in the temple. The blood of the innocent being shed as a sacrifice. Jesus became the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who in his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before each shearers is silent. The thing about lambs is that before going to slaughter, they are just living their lives, eating grass, doing lamb things. They do not know what is going to befall them. They will even trust and follow silently those who are leading them to their deaths. The biggest difference here is that Jesus, our very own Lamb of God, knew exactly what was going to happen. As John 10 verse 18 tells us, he willingly laid down his life for us. No one took it from him, but he laid it down of his own accord. Jesus' death did not look like a victory in the eyes of mankind. First Corinthians tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And for God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and chose the weak things of the world, to shame the strong. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will be see the light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus went through valleys in life. He was despised and rejected by those who were supposed to accept him. 
People constantly tested him, eventually wanting to take his life, and they thought they had succeeded and silenced him. But through him, God triumphed as the glorious Lion of Judah, as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords. Jesus won the battle over life and death itself by taking away the sins of the world. God used Jesus' death, the ultimate valley moment, the moment when it looked like all the forces of evil had gathered together in one to bring about the greatest victory the world has ever known. In the Bible, we see that God often takes what looks like valley moments and uses them to bring about his victory. He also chooses those who look weak and insignificant in the eyes of men to accomplish them. Hebrews 11 contains a list of heroes of the faith. And amongst it, in verses 32 to 34, you will find this statement. I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, or Japheth. About David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength. Each of them was chosen by God. Their power didn't come from themselves. Instead, God's power was made perfect in their weaknesses. None of them believed in themselves. Instead, they placed their trust in God, who often tested them and stretched them far outside their own abilities. And just like us today, all of them, without exception, had to overcome trials and opposition. Again, Jesus did this on the very night he was portrayed. He could have turned and run, throwing God's plan aside, refused to cooperate. He could have called down legions of angels to save him. He even could have called on the people who spoke his praises a week earlier to come to his defence. After all, he had the power to do so. But instead, we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Father, Not my will, but yours be done. He laid aside his own power and placed his trust in life and the power of God, the one who had sent him for this very moment. We all come up against trials and adversity. Again, John 16 verse 33 says, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. (laughs) It's hard to remember that. It's hard to remember that when you're feeling kicked around by life, that it does get better. It's hard to remember when you're a parent dealing with the warfare of nappies and sleepless nights that what you're doing is so worth it. It's hard to remember when you're feeling dejected and like you just don't fit in, that God loves you. And it's hard to remember when you're trying to sow into the lives of others week after week and not seeing a harvest or any fruit that what you're doing does not make a difference. Life is never going to be easy all of the time. And at some point, all of us are going to come up against some hard times and difficult situations. In fact, very often when one problem is solved, a new one will arise to take its place. And we do have an enemy who wants us to believe that we will never be victorious or overcome our present circumstances. But God's word says... No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit 
and he'll always be there to help you through it. (laughs) The fact is that God never said we wouldn't face adversity. No, he just reassured us that we would never be outside his care. So remember, when you are facing a mountain or going through a valley moment, that God is right there with you. But the real question is, why would God want us to encounter, endure, or go through hard times? I'm sure most of you at some stage have probably heard the saying, God loves us as we are, but also loves us too much to leave us that way. I also know that many of you here are parents who want the best for your children. You don't want them to experience pain, hurt, or suffering, but you probably also want to do your best to prepare them for what they are going to face in life. You want them to learn, grow, and develop as people. And in order to do so, there may be some upsets along the way. A child may get bumps and bruises as they learn to walk, scratches on their knee as they learn to ride a bike, or put dents in your car as they learn to drive. (laughs) But when they walk, ride or drive and accomplish the goals they set out to achieve, you are so pleased for them. And the small amount of suffering and pain incurred to do this pales in comparison to the reward they have achieved. God wants to develop us, not just deliver us. Think about it. What have you learned from the stuff you went through in the past? Because God often uses our problems and trials to build us up, to develop our character, and to give us direction. They cause us to grow and come out stronger, And they also show us just how much we need to rely on him. So next time you're facing something tough, take time to ask yourself, what does God want me to learn from this? And learn to trust in him more. Because often, our darkest moments in life produce some of our most life-changing experiences. God uses our valleys to prepare us for victories. Of course, life as a Christian isn't easy. And while God does hear our prayers and petitions, sometimes he doesn't answer in the way or timing we would like. And at other times, the answer is just plain no. And we can struggle to understand why. This is hard, especially when we believe the things we are praying for are good. Unfortunately, the expression by walking by faith means trusting in God when life doesn't seem to be going our way. So what can you do and how can you draw close to God When life becomes too much, when you don't understand what is happening or why he doesn't seem to be listening to you. Firstly, understand you're not the first person to feel this way. No one had more faith than Job, yet he said, I cry out to you, but you do not answer. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me. And God called David a man after his own heart, yet he complained several times of God's absence. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Even Jesus echoed the words from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. So what do you do? First, pray. Get real with God. Talk to him from your heart and tell him exactly how you feel. Direct the hard questions at him. And remember, he does know exactly what you're going through. Only he can bring relief to your situation and make sense of, or at the very least, help you to accept what is happening. 
God knows exactly how you feel and he cares. And there is nothing that matters as much to him as what's going on in your life right now. Secondly, trust in his promises. Remember God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That doesn't mean we won't face problems. It just means we don't have to deal with them alone. God is with us in the valleys. Just because you can't see what he's up to at a particular moment doesn't mean he isn't there. To put it simply, we continue to trust in God, knowing that he does want what's best for us. After all, lambs need a shepherd, and who better than one who understands them? Nobody said life would be easy, but Jesus is real, and he will meet you wherever you are and in whatever you are going through. No one knows pain, suffering, loss, and rejection as he does, for he endured all of this and ultimately death and separation from God when he hung on the cross to pay for our sins. He loved us enough to endure all that. And in doing so, he ensured we need never be outside of God's care. Because of his sacrifice, we now have direct access to God and are able to come before him and receive mercy and find grace in times of need. Finally, I realise that while a whole lot of Bible references refer to valleys as a state of hopelessness, be it sin, suffering, war, punishment or death, we have a hope that far outweighs them all. In Psalm 23 verse 4, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is with us in the valleys, and having him walk alongside us is much better than going through them alone. Victory comes when we keep our focus on him. It helps to build hope that we will see the other side. The Bible confirms this hope. In Psalm 121 verse 2, it says, Where does my help come from? Lord, maker of heaven and earth. In Romans 5 verses 3 and 4, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And finally, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, it brings us this assurance. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In nature... Pressures, stress, and irritation can be used to create things of great beauty. This is what happens in an oyster when a small grain of sand enters and irritates it, prompting the shellfish to start protecting itself. It does this by laying down layer upon layer of mother of pearl. And once the irritant has been covered with enough layers, it's like it never existed, and a thing of great beauty is created in its place. God often uses trials and difficulties we face in life to build and create great treasure within us. This means that when our next valley comes, no matter how painful, we can face it, knowing that we can conquer it by placing our trust in God and knowing that he has placed victory on the other side of it. I'm going to pray, but as I do so, could the musicians come up? Lord, today I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. 
our very own Lamb of God, who went ahead of us, paid for our sins, and thus ensured we need never be outside your care. Today I pray in the midst of whatever we are going through, we may still be able to praise you, knowing that you have already prepared victory for us on the other side of it. Help us to place our hope and trust in you and rely on you knowing that you are there with us and that you have promised never to leave us or forsake us. Please be the strength in our weakness, our hope in times of trouble, our counsellor and our comforter. I pray today that we live knowing that at all times, no matter what we are facing, we can come boldly before your throne, knowing that you have a plan and a purpose for us in whatever we are going through and that you have already won the victory for us once and for all. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.